Good morning to you all. We're delighted you're here today and again and to welcome you this morning as we worship before our God and as we share. We've been for the last few weeks, we've been looking for at the uh, unbelievable book. It's actually a book. Justin, this is his from his radio program in England. And maybe you don't get his radio waves from England. I suppose you could on the Internet. But he raises, he is a Christian radio station and it has, uh, each week, they have a challenge of which they have people from atheists or different points of view debate back and forth on it. And this is the book, and Linda shared this book with me, and I appreciate it very much. I hope you've had an opportunity to think about it. The first week, we talked about the great gift of gravity and that of science, of naturalism. And the answer of gravity, the puzzling part of gravity, is that gravity, if it's just slightly different... Yeah, we all couldn't exist on on this world, just slightly. Just when we looked at some trillion, 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 trillion to one points about it, how accurately and carefully it had to be laid out and would be a fine-tuned universe or we wouldn't exist at all. And so the idea of the chaos that was developed, certainly that we came from a chaotic uh, blob that happened, seems not to fit into the universe in which we actually are living. The second week, we looked at the value of human life and how that there is only value to human life if there is a God behind it. And we looked at that part. Well, today, I'd like for us to look at the post-truth society. Now, we have, um, you probably have heard of the post-modern era. Have you heard of that? Post-modern era and the post-Christian era that we are Finding ourselves in. Well, this is the post-Christian society in which we live. I remember as I grew up, my parents uh, taught me, and then I learned in school, you just can't believe everything you read in the paper. Now, Dennis, I know Dennis would, may say, well, we have a lot of good in there. But, but uh, being a newspaper man, but the, uh, you just can't believe everything you read in the newspaper. And I have noticed that when I have seen articles about myself that have appeared in the the, the newspaper and things that are there, that there's a lot that is true, but there's always some little bit that didn't get quite right. Have you noticed that? And been just a little bit. Well, it's because they're trying to get the facts and get them out and get them going as quick as you can. So you learn to read the newspaper with a little bit of, well, you know, general suspicion. But now we're going on into a world in which we have fake news. Fake news. This is not just going on and, and making a little errors here and there. This is, I'm going to tell a story that hasn't even happened yet and put it out as news, but it's all fake, but we want you to believe it anyway. And it's kind of under the uh, guise of like, the end justifies the mean. We can, we can fabricate the story for you because if we can get you to move and believe it, then the story at the end of getting you to to justify the means of which we're trying to get you there. So that happens in our society. Have you noticed that in this world? That's happening there. For example, we had the Hurricane Florence. Have you been aware of what's happening in Hurricane Florence? Now, I'm going to say something, and I don't want to be challenged about it at the end of church today, okay? Please, just, I'm using it as an illustration, not trying to make a political statement. But keep your thoughts to yourself. No. So Hurricane Hurricane Florence, I mean, when it was going blowing up, all of a sudden people said, ah, here is evidence of climate change. Obviously, this is an example of climate change. 
that is happening. And, of course, if it's climate change, it has to end up at President Trump's lap. So he's responsible for Hurricane Florence blowing in. As I say, we will not be discussing that fact at the end of our service today. Um, However, in Lamerton, North Carolina, they had a different view of Florence when they were there full of flooding and happening. We need to pray for those people. Some are still there. I can't imagine having water flowing through your home, but that happens in our world around us. So some believe and hang on to the idea of great conspiracy theories that there isn't. And sometimes some of us love those conspiracy theories. I remember when I first got into the ministry, someone came up to me and I had just, I mean, I was so novice at this and and came out to me and all talked about this great conspiracy that's happening behind the scenes and you just just can't trust anybody. And I have, what, what, going on and on, great conspiracy. Well, that person loved it. Well, today, today I raise the question with you, if there is a God, did he reveal himself to us? That's the question. If there is a God, did he reveal himself to us? And that pure thing started more conspiracy theories about, and that just ravished through the post-truth era that have happened. I'd like you to open your Bibles to a very familiar passage in Matthew 16. Matthew 16. If you would take and look at that for just a few moments. In Matthew 16, Jesus has brought and his disciples, and they're stopping to rest at a place at the northern part, the most northern, the beginning of the Jordan River. If you're going to go to the Holy Land with me, perhaps we will stop by and see this, Caesarea Philippi. Beginning with verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, and when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men people say the Son of Man is, referring to himself? Who do people say that I am? What's the answer that they gave? And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist. Now, I want to stop right there. Some say John the Baptist. At this time, John the Baptist had already been beheaded. So, in Jewish thinking, It was somebody picking up the ministry of John the Baptist. They did not believe in reincarnation. So they weren't really saying that you are John the Baptist now because they knew John the Baptist was basically a contemporary. So John had died, but they were saying he's picking up the ministry of John the Baptist. Can you understand that? Okay. And so that was the same with others. If you look at Elijah, some say, well, you're Elijah. Well, the very last book in the Old Testament, it said, there will be come in the latter days, Elijah will appear. Not that Elijah will be reincarnated and come, but his message will come. We'll talk about that some other time, about the great Elijah message for our day. But some say, well, he's Elijah, because he's talking about very similar things that Elijah talked about. And had happened in garden. Still others say it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the great prophet of the Old Testament, the weeping prophet. Some say it's that. Or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus went on and he said to them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And now everybody's looking at the floor. You know, I, I had a teacher in, uh, in the seminary and he had the ability. And he would literally walk down, walk into it, and he would come right up to us right there. And here we're in our, and he'd come up and he'd talk, give his lecture, and he's talking this close to me, you know. And I learned not to look at him at that time, to look down at my notes, 
because I knew that he would uh, continue to look at my eyes, and it was very intimidating. But he was a great teacher. I loved him as a teacher. But I never had that experience of a teacher giving his lecture, walking in and among. Well, so some say, well, who do you say that I am? And now the disciples, like I would do, I'd look down at my nose, kind of nod and look at my nose. I didn't know what was going on. So, so they were looking down because they didn't know themselves. That's why Jesus asked them. Because they didn't have a clue. They were thinking that in their own mind. Well, we don't know who you are either. And then we find that great, great example. You know, so the question comes to us, it happens, well, it depends. In today's society, well, it depends on how you answer. Depends on how you think about it. It all depends. Who do you say you are? Well, as you know, Peter, Simon Peter, first always to speak up and uh, open his mouth, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And therefore, is Peter right? Is Peter right? Did he have that? Jesus replied and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh or blood, but my Father in heaven, that the Spirit of God reached on him, and he understood who he was and happened. Well, in the book Unbelievable, we have this little synopsis that Justin comes up, and he says to us, and he offers to us, Christians claim, watch this, Christians claim that God came in Jesus, not only to show us what God is truly like, but in order that we might be reconciled back to that God through the defining act of sacrificial love. He then rose again from death, vindicating his divine claims, and inaugurating a new reality of resurrection life for every person who trusts in him. And in essence, what we have there, buried there in there, is that in a nutshell is Christianity. That's it. It's that Christ came, showed us God, died for us, secured for us, salvation, and that we might live with him for everyone who trusts in him. Well, there are a lot of world religions. I don't know if you know that. There are some huge ones, and one of them is Islam. Islam, we will find that in the Middle East when we go there. But Islam is a huge, huge religion and drawing a lot of people to it. There's also, if we go into India, there's Hinduism, which is huge. And what about Buddhism? So we have those big, huge religions world. Does it matter which one is right? See, now the, the question being, well, everybody, if we are in a post-truth society, if, if we, everybody is kind of like, you just believe what you want to believe, and, and going, everybody's good, and everything happens, then what takes place? So what we have then, what we have taking and happening, is people can choose them themselves. And of course, they are free to do that. So does it matter? Does it really matter which one? How does one decide what is true? How does one? If truth really matters. And I ask that question not just to be foolish, but does truth really matter? In our society today, sometimes truth does not matter. So the question comes, if God raised Jesus from the dead, our search is over. If he raised him from the dead, it's over. We know the truth 
about it. But how can that be verified? I wasn't there, and as uh, Linda illustrated, she believed in George Washington was the first president of the United States. I share that view. But like you, I wasn't there. I never met George Washington. And I assume most of you have not either uh, met him. But there is general agreement, whether you're a believer or not, there's generally among scholars that there was an historical figure named Jesus, who lived here in Palestine and who walked and had a kind of itinerant mystery. There, there is that general historical say, yes, there are enough facts to establish that. So we come up with various views, and we come up with the view, well, Jesus was a great guru. He was able to bring, oh, he had wonderful things to say, and we can enjoy that, and we can learn from that, but there are lots of great gurus around to happen. Or he was a zealot. There were zealots. Zealots during that time were those who were trying to overthrow the Romans. And they were looking for Jesus to do that, weren't they? Some were looking to say, are you? Come, get rid of the Romans. Get them out of here so we can be free. So there were zealots that were around. Lightly, they said, oh, Jesus was a wonderful husband. You've seen that? I've heard that going, floating around. I think there was that. It was even an article in the very knowledgeable National Geographic about that, which who would doubt that? So there was this, these theories that are going around, and that Jesus simply was a myth of happening. Now, there's a general principle, and a key principle in interpreting. It goes like this. The closer the writing, uh, the closer the written sources are to the events they describe, the more of them we have to compare, the better their reliability. So if we have more sources... We have more things. The closer we go back to find them, the closer we go back to the actual accounts of people, then the closer we get, the more reliable it tends to be. That's a general principle of understanding and putting evidence, as she talked about, about evidence about how things happen. So that general principle of looking and going back to that. So he goes on and he adds, Justin adds, we have far better historical evidence for the life of Jesus than we do for the crossing of the Rubicon by Caesar, a major event in Roman history. We have that. We have much more evidence in that regard happen. And our evidence lies firmly in that of the four Gospels. There is others. But the four Gospels are an amazing story. Let me talk just a bit about the four Gospels. Each of these Gospels, the first one, Matthew, was a tax collector, if you recall, that Jesus called. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all written after Paul's writings were finished. And they were not necessarily written in the order in which they appear in the New Testament. They were grouped together at the beginning because they tell the story. Matthew, Matthew deals with the birth of Christ, the lineage of Christ. Mark's story basically came from Peter. He was a protege. He worked with Peter, young John Mark. He wrote down his gospel, which is basically the gospel that Peter told him because Peter was an eyewitness. The Gospel of Luke, Luke was not a disciple of Christ. Luke was a physician, 
And he got his story from talking to the disciples and wrote that story down. And John, the last of the apostles to live, John wrote that great gospel, which was actually a theology of Jesus, as he told the story in which a third of his story is focused on the last week of Jesus' life. So we have these four gospel stories from four different people sharing this story of what had happened and laying that experience out of how it happened. So the witnesses, the witnesses that we have, those people who wrote and shared with that, focus on this great event of the cross. So the focus of those Gospels in telling the story is just not the teachings, just not the miracles, but all leads up to the death of Christ and naturally into the resurrection of Christ. Those stories, that things add up to that, these witnesses that were there then told that. Now, these individuals were eyewitnesses. Most of them were eyewitnesses, or they were talking to eyewitnesses who were there. And it was told, this great story that was shared back and forth, that story that they heard and told the disciples, decided, before we die off, we need to write this down so people have record. Because you used to be able to go to the disciples, and they would come, and you could ask them yourself. Just go up and say, hey, what happened? You know, tell us, tell me the story. And they were happy to share with you. But as time went on, and they began to be in trouble and get martyred, then somebody needed to write this down. And so the Holy Spirit inspired these individuals to write down this story so that we might have it. And that's how we got it. Well, the question rises, well, but weren't they all biased? They were all biased because, I mean, they wanted to believe and they believed in it, and so they were all biased about it. Well, that argument is very similar to this. Now, um, I am the pastor of the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church. I bet all of you would pretty well agree to that. that pretty well agree to that. So let's suppose 10 years later that I am long gone. I have gone on to somewhere else. Who knows where? We don't want to push that story too far. But let's suppose I'm gone. And somebody asks, was Bill Bossert ever the pastor of the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church? And all of you would say, yes, yes, he was. I was here. I saw it. Well, you're all biased because uh, you liked him or didn't like him one way or the other. But you're all biased. And so we can't believe your report. Would that make invalidate your report because you attended here, because you were eyewitnesses, you were members here? Would that invalidate that I was actually here as pastor? That same argument is being offered as the reason why Jesus could, couldn't because the disciples were biased because they were his followers. It doesn't make sense. We would certainly wouldn't apply that to other historical figures. So here, here is a story that these men were writing and sharing the story as they laid down the gospel story. And through Paul, who said he met him on the road, he knew this story that was going on and sharing this great truth. That these men, without collaborating with one another, set this witness together. Well, they say, well, if you read the gospels, there are many inaccuracies in the gospels back and forth. Yes, there are. I'll give you a quick example. When we go there, you'll see this. 
In one of the Gospels, it records a miracle of Jesus that he was talking about, about going down on the going down the road to Jericho from Jerusalem. But another gospel says, no, he was on the road going up from Jericho to Jerusalem. So they say, well, see, there's an error. There's confusion there, whether he Jesus was performing the miracle on the way down the road or was he on his way up the road. Not a, because they're in about the story. Now, does that make a lot of difference to you? Whether one gospel said he was he was going down to Jericho, or no, no, he was in Jericho and he was coming up to Jerusalem. Well, it's foolish, really, to say, "Well, that, see, that's 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 the problem." Really, really. So the gospels are looked at as ancient biographies, which fit into the concept of other biographies at the time that they don't worry about those technical things like we see and that we worry about. Why, if we were to all write a story about uh, what happened with uh, when Irma went through here, we all that were here experienced that, and when Irma went through, they would be different, would they not? But they were all talking about the same story. We witnessed it. We saw it. We were here. But my experience and what I would write would be different than what you wrote. But they both would be true. Both in factual. So the Gospels, as God guarded those Gospels and those natives, uh, those ancient biographies, as he, as he told this story, it is miraculously how they reveal the truth of that story that happened, of what happened. So the focus, the whole focus then, of the movement of the Gospels was to make sure that the readers understood the cross, that Jesus died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. Unbelievable, but true from the witnesses. Now, Josh uh, McDowell, I don't know if you are familiar with him, he uh, taught for years at uh, Liberty University. He wrote and has been working on this for years. And his latest edition out of the book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Life-Changing Truth for a Skeptical World, Josh McDowell has been working on the logic and the reason behind the proof of the resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. It's a fabulous book. It is incredibly well-read. Uh, well, um, well researched, and it's a wonderful book. If you've not seen that, it, it happens. But you see, the Gospels report, the Gospels report events performed by a real person in real time, in real space. They were, they were reality of the Gospel of the story as it was there. So this morning, we have nothing to be ashamed of or ducking around or to to be concerned about the gospel story of Jesus, the reality of who he is. Not everyone accepts it. Jesus told us that when he told us the parable of the gospel being sown in the parable of the sower, didn't he? Some falls on the hard ground, some falls on the soft ground, some here and there when the seed is spread, it's all right. Not everybody 
But we have a solid basis to base our faith on. This isn't just blind faith. It isn't just, Jesus said, come let's reason together. Come see for yourself. Come look. Come see if it is not true. Therefore, truth then, against the society, stands firm. Because I don't want my faith to be built on fake news. Do you? Certainly not my salvation. Not my hope of eternal life with Christ. I don't want that built on that. I want my faith built on the trust of truth as it lays before us this morning. So as we continue this journey and we conclude this next week, I would have you understand we have good reasons for the faith that we have within us. Dear Lord, thank you for the great gospel story that you revealed. I thank you for the blessings that you gave to each of us through the ministry of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the other Bible writers that we can look at our scripture and look and check out the facts that are around us. You are not buffaloed or concerned or upset if we look at the facts and we raise questions, you welcome them. But that we'll be honest and be willing to look and not hide behind it. I pray for that, that we may be uh, rational and yet understand when it's time to take that basic belief in faith. Lord, I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. As that man stood before Jesus that day, we too ask the same in his name. Amen.